0: email is a really bad communication tool. So one of the first things was to look at collaboration tools, open up the information channels, democratize data, you create a momentum. And sometimes it's difficult for large corporations to keep up with the speed of their own workforce. But if you realize this and if you can manage it, uh, it's a huge boost to internal communication and to also serve your customers. Hello and welcome to Speak Like a CEO,
1: the leading podcast on CEO and founder communications. My guest today is Jörg Helwig. He is the former chief digital Officer of a huge company called Lanxess, so if you've probably heard about it, and he's also the founder of Chimondas. Jörg, welcome. Oliver, hey, great to be here. Uh, we met uh, surfing. Uh, you went surfing, I was surfing, but met basically drinking a beer after surfing uh, recently, which was fantastic. And of course, I couldn't uh, help myself and I immediately invited you onto the podcast, so I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. So um, you are the former Chief Digital Officer of Lanxess. Let's let's clarify what Lanxess is, because it's a company that's obviously a huge B2B company, but not everyone is dealing with it every every day. So let's just
0: clarify what they do. Sure. Lanxess is a um, very large uh, chemical specialty company, based in uh, headquartered in Cologne. We, are, we were a spin-off of Bayer, um, um, approximately 10 billion euro sales, uh, 20,000 people, very global company and doing business with any industry in the world. Massive, yeah.
1: yeah. And what was your role as Chief Digital Officer? What, what, what was your overarching objective?
0: Well, perhaps I uh, I start with, how do, did I get to this role? Yeah. So our boss, the CEO of the company, Matthias Zachard, came back from Davos, I think it was uh, 2017, and he said, uh, shoot, uh, everybody's talking about digitalization, Helwig, uh, Please uh, get something done. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a techie. I'm not an IP person. So um, I was uh, in a position to um, uh, take over a function which nobody could explain to me. I was running businesses before and I immediately saw this huge opportunity to um, put technology now into our processes uh, to optimize processes, to get better, uh, to become more efficient and so on. So I got uh, more and more excited uh, to use technology and uh, then I got started and uh, had a fantastic ride over uh, more than four years to do that.
1: Yeah, were you in a position to almost like craft the position? We said that no one could explain what it is. That's an opportunity, right? You can you can make of it what you think is necessary.
0: Well, um, making a career in a large corporation also um, gives you a lot of experience. Uh, what can get done and uh, what is uh, almost impossible to to change. So I went to my boss after taking over the job and said, uh, look, um, I'm very excited to take over the role. Uh, However, I uh, will break rules in your company. So he got a little um, excited about breaking rules and I explained to him what does it mean? I said, well, we have laws uh, and we will continue to work legal, but we have homemade rules which might block us because these rules, Uh, Some of these rules are 5, 10, 15, 20 years old, but nobody questions these rules anymore in a large corporation. This is a great chance to use technology to also check on the the roadblocks of processes. And uh, after checking um, and we see that these rules um, are still okay, uh, we continue to do that. But... Uh, to do something new also means uh, perhaps we have a chance to to clean up mm-hmm. and to become more efficient to uh, apply more speed to our processes and to really dive into this new very exciting and speedy world
1: yeah it's interesting that the ceo sees digitalization as a way to rewrite the playbook and the culture of the company is sort of uh, that that's uh, you said you're no techie so that's probably why he chose you right because he thought Jörg Havik is the man to rewrite that playbook.
0: It is, I believe, in a large corporation, a huge benefit to not be an IT person, to not uh, get too excited about uh, everything which is software. Um, You get excited about making your business faster. You get excited about serving your customers better. You get excited to be perhaps ahead of the game and use the unfair advantage of a, a great positioning different from a startup, you have products, you have sales, you have people. And now you look at any kind of technology which is out there, um, which replaces the Excel sheets, which replaces the eight hour workshops, which replaces the emails. And uh, suddenly you see, hack, this is this is really working. Plus, you um, uh, apply this ambidexterity. You, you, you do what you have been doing over the last decades every day better with technology, but you also look uh, at new business models and you get new ideas. How can I um, grow in fields uh, which were not really our playing fields before, but we have so much knowledge, we have so much skills, we have so much talent in the company that it's uh, it's great to pursue these. Um, and then for sure, also apply the rule, or fail fast. If something doesn't work, then uh, stop it immediately. And uh, another disease of large corporations don't run a project for two years just because the project was designed for two years uh, i call this junk research uh, that you really look uh, two more years or 18 more months that something is really not working stop it and put the resources into the next project because something will work yeah. definitely
1: yes a lot of the changes you introduce if i understand it correctly are related to internal communications you mentioned workshops you mentioned email so could you give us a couple of examples of what you took away and replaced it with or improved that we get an idea because I think this is a common problem in companies of all sizes that we all drown in workplace communications, alignment meetings, workshops, um, too many emails, Slack, etc. So how did you, what, what specifically did you do to speed up the processes?
0: Well, Oliver, six minutes into the podcast, here's the first laughter. We were still operating a Lotus Notes email system worldwide, and we were <laughs> okay. trying to change the world uh, and only so. have such a tool on our hands. So uh, one of the things you realize is that email is a really bad communication tool. Mm. It is uh, something where um, you add on, you, um, you you put more people into an email string and at the end you don't even know who started the whole thing. But it's nothing where you can be flexible. Uh, so one of the first things was to look at uh, collaboration tools, um, not to uh, put any any advertisement out here. But uh, for sure, we, we looked immediately at Microsoft 365 at Teams. And we're starting to to test it in the company. And uh, after a while, and the while was uh, not too long, people saw this huge, huge, huge efficiency that they were creating their own team's chats. They were collaborating uh, via uh, that new tool. And uh, about three months later, we realized we sent 90% less emails, Um, Mm. but we we became much faster. Um, Plus, we had the chance to also involve people of different departments in projects. So you you break up silos with right communication tools and you don't have to tell people to do it like this. Uh, People will demand to have tools like that. So that's the other way around. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, you ignite something, you create a momentum. And then sometimes it's difficult for large corporations yeah. to keep up with the speed of their own workforce. Oh. Uh, but if you realize this and if you can manage it, it's uh, it's a huge boost to uh, internal communication and to uh, also serve your customers better.
1: So you unleash the potential because generally speaking, people want to move forward. They want to do the right thing for the company. That's just, that's why
0: they're there, right? And, and the quick wins motivate them. That uh, is another learning, especially uh, when the pandemic started, we realized that we um, don't have the uh, the right tools on hand and uh, because people had to work outside of offices and so on uh, sometimes our it systems broke because we didn't have enough uh, bandwidth uh, um, the vpn channels were too small and so on um, i called it uh, we tried to to get better but uh people um At their homes now are digitized completely because otherwise they would have starved and they they, they would have died uh, because all the stores were closed and they had to go on the digital chain. Um, But uh, coming back to the office, coming back to the big tower, we give them for eight hours a drum and a chalkboard to communicate. And this has to stop. We have to invest into such things
1: yeah yeah hundred percent and you mentioned like meetings and workshops um to me when, when working with um large corporations it often seems uh, maybe this is unfair that a lot of time is just spent aligning in meetings rather than actually doing things and i know this this is a huge cost for companies right but what can companies
0: do to reduce the number of meetings or just make them more uh, efficient mm-hmm. We were so used to meetings um, when you, you look at your calendar in January, it was full until December. So it was very tough uh, uh, for me to find a 45 minute slot to do podcasts or something like that. So almost impossible. Yeah. So you're yeah. super busy, um, but really looking at meetings. What did you do when you went into a six hour, eight hour meeting? You took your computer and you were cleaning up your email box. So um, you were listening to reports. <laughs> PowerPoints, which you could have easily read. So there was no benefit of sitting there. And uh, for me, diving into the digital world, working with startups, I realized how powerful these other meeting culture is, like the the sprints, the uh, 30-minute stand-ups. You take away the tables in the meeting rooms because you don't want to have anyone bring a computer. Um, You want to have someone. Uh, feeling the hurting back after 30 or 45 minutes because the meeting just went too long. Yeah. Um, and you do um, very fast, very efficient um, meetings um, in a regular mode, but you you don't waste your time. So you you always, after the meeting, checked and, and asked yourself, was it a valuable meeting? And then you adapt it, and then you also... Um, apply certain rules like who should be in the meeting, who creates value, who should be involved. Um, It's it's not about meetings. It's also about information flow. So open up the information channels, um, democratize data, make sure your systems are accessible to everybody who needs the data. And uh, after a while, and it's a pretty heavy task at the beginning, after a while you see the efficiency, and then let it go and um, improve it um, while you are, Um, operating under this new scheme, sometimes you go backwards. It is very normal in in large corporations that uh, people work against certain changes and they don't feel comfortable in that. But be consistent in your approach and convince and make sure that also um, your people, people working for you have a say. And uh, I also told people, well, don't show up at meetings I scheduled if you don't see a value in that. So it's a pretty difficult message from a boss to the people. Don't show up to a meeting which I scheduled. Yeah. But at the time uh, when less people showed up, I realized, well, my meetings uh, um, do not seem to be valuable anymore. So I, I have to change and my people changed me, which is uh, also one of the leadership skills I had to learn.
1: Wow, that's nice. That's nice. And um, just to unpack this, you said something very interesting that, you know, it's a long meeting, and people just read their emails, um, because they don't find it, maybe they find it valuable to be there, but not the whole extent of it. And to me, it feels like that complete focus on one thing is the way to go. So focus on this meeting for half an hour, and no one should read emails, no one should do anything else, just focus on that meeting. Then, after when the meetings are done, then focus on your email, go quickly through them, and you get through them very quickly because you're focused on that. So it's this, this idea that we always have to multitask um, to get everything done that slows everything down. That's, that's my impression. Would you agree? Do, do you think that's that's a, that's a problem?
0: Had you told me this in 2016, 17, I would have said, no, 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 Oliver. All the meetings are valuable. And um, I, I also need to bring my computer to be multitasking uh, capable because yeah. even in the meeting, I am so important that I have to read the mails which are coming in that hour and I have to respond immediately. Yeah. So um, y- you learn and then they boomerang. You send it and then there's a new one coming back and a- go back absolutely. And that is uh, <laughs> the, the thing with an email. Um, you create the disaster by sending the first emails out. Uh, everybody responds, copies in five more people. So at the end, you have 15 more emails in your inbox. Um, so you don't get anything done. So but um, you, you need to learn this and it's, it's about a, a journey also. Um, you cannot order it because if you order it, people will work against something. You have to convince people, you have to convince yourself. You have to bring people in who teach you like scrum masters in the new methodologies of of communicating, of meeting, of exchanging information, also uh, decision making process. Um, emails are a tool for people who try to limit others to be involved, um, because you can send an email out to 20, 30 people, but you don't get any response. So what I did, um, and what I learned, is um, you you should involve more people in the decision-making process by having uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of collaboration with most of the people who work with you, because everybody has to say something and at the end, you perhaps have a longer process to make a decision, but the decision then is followed by everybody. Uh, even if someone says this decision, I would have not made that decision, but at least I was asked. So it's, it's this, this is my, my definition of agility in a, in a corporation, involve more people, use the talent, and then um, many people believe it is anarchy, but it's not, it's it's just a faster <laughs> process of making better decisions and less uh, risks to, to, to make wrong decisions. Anarchy.
1: We need to restore order. But you alluded to something. I mean, let's address the pink turtle in the room, right? A lot of people don't want change. They are afraid of change, uh, of their reservations, or they wait and see if this works before they actually do something. And companies try to adapt and change all the time. And in many cases, it fails. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but often it's not necessarily the open rebellion, but it's just that people don't don't apply it, right? They stick to their own habits or the old ways of doing things, the old playbook. And they don't really embrace the new and that slows it down or makes the initiative worthless. And then it will be, okay, leadership sees it does work. So it was, is abandoned almost. So how how did you, go about this? I mean, you sure you're aware of that risk that change can fail, it's not a given. So how did you take people with you win them over on that journey?
0: Well, let me take you back, uh, perhaps 10 plus years ago, um, far away from digitalization. So I had taken over a very successful business uh, of Langsys. And um, I met my team. And uh, the first thing my team told me is don't change anything. Everything's great. Everything is running well. And uh, so (laughs) we are best in class. And uh, so I I first thought, okay, what a statement. Second thought was perhaps I really start golfing now if uh, I don't have to really do something here (laughs) but then uh, a a thing happened which uh, was perhaps the best what could have happened to me that was the big financial crisis in 2008 nine because suddenly all the processes which were uh, told where i was told these processes are great didn't work anymore because from friday to monday cancellations of orders nobody could give me a good forecast and so on so for three six months we were really running in limbo and our business was going down we had to Shut down facilities, a chemical facility is a very complex thing. You, you don't just push a button like an assembly line in, a, in an automotive production line, you, you have to look at chemistry and so on. So we had a complete mess. So I went back to my team and said, so what now? And they said, well, we don't know. I said, OK, then we have to change the process because processes should run in good times and in bad times. Yes, uh, at least we should know what to do. So it was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of business change because suddenly the environment changed and my team was more than willing to accept, yes, we need to change. So then when I took over the the CDO role, I suddenly got tools which were much better than workshops and Excel sheets and emails and so on, because then we now could apply speed to all the processes. We were able to use systems. We were able to uh, connect data. Uh, from procurement to production, to supply chain, to sales, and uh, iterate something which then created a massive improvement in the value chain of a business. We connected to customers, we connected to our suppliers, to our transportation service providers, and so on. And that was a huge boost, and everybody got so excited and don't forget um, and never to, to, to be forgotten. We had fun doing that because it was successful and the, the best mm. um, fun in, in business is being successful. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, the quick wins.
1: Now, with that experience, um, can you even in good times initiate changes like that? when you're not going through a crisis because that's often the task right you see you need to prepare for whatever is down the line you need to get more agile you need to speed things up to survive in the long term how do you induce that sense of urgency in the here and now if there's no external crisis
0: well this is my other definition of leadership, you need to change when the business is running best, because then you have a huge opportunity. You have the funds, you have a positioning. You have also the the opportunity to fail a little bit. But it doesn't matter because your business is running so well. If you're cornered, if you're already uh, in a second year going down, um, you are already in, in perhaps red figures. It's very, very difficult to then do something meaningful so uh, when i left my team um which was running very successfully they told me you know what Uh, you were a great leader but we hated you especially at the times when you said we need to change (laughs) because there was the times where we were um at a position where we said great look a new record result and and i said okay 30 second 30 second celebration and now let's look at changes let's look at what can we do better Uh, Is perhaps the market uh, changing in a way? Uh, Do we see new trends? Have we talked to customers about what they are thinking about? So you you need to keep the pressure, especially on a successful business, and uh, then you will remain successful. And this is also what I learned later on in a digital world. You know, I mean, you can create the best business in the world and three months later you're dead because someone else is better than you, faster than you. So, um, you, you learn your lessons and, uh, again, it's, uh, it's, it's great fun to, to move even if everybody else tells you, no, 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 it's perfect. Uh, don't change anything now, but how do you get people to, to be on that journey with you?
1: If they, if you said they hated you because you wanted to change when you had record results. but well, well the best is uh,
0: when you did it uh, the second or third time that the first time it went well <clears throat> and um, mm-hmm. you you can you have a proof of concept that it is necessary. It's for me it was also very important to be always somewhere in the world looking at markets, talking to customers, uh, seeing trends, uh, so you don't sit in your headquarter, nice corner office and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, to look at your emails and so on. You, you, you go out and you, you go where the market is or you go where the possible markets are. You also analyze markets in a way that you say, okay, is it good that we, that we gained 5% uh, sales or has the market perhaps um, grown by, by 10%? So we lost market share. So always always compare yourself, not against your past results, but against the potential you have and then create new goals. And uh, if you are behind the goals, this gives you motivation to to become better, to become faster and to change again. If I lost a business uh, because of a too high price, there must be a reason for that. If I have the data to see this, I can change immediately. If I don't have a good um, reason and, and I good, don't have good data, then I have to work on a better data basis to um, also make sure that this doesn't happen again to me. So it's an ongoing battle, but mm-hmm. um, uh, if it's successful, it's great. If it's not successful, it's, it's painful because you fall behind and say, why did I change? Why did I do something? Because it was running better before, yeah. <laughs> but this is the, the wrong attitude.
1: Yeah, exactly, you need to experiment.
0: If I try to put
1: a psychological framework around this, I think what why are transitions and transformations often not successful? I think because it triggers three fundamental fears in all humans, which is fear of change, fear of the unknown, and fear of loss. Now, how do we deal with that as leadership? I think fear of the unknown is, is easily addressed by explaining, making the unknown known, right? This is the plan. This is what's going to happen. This is why we do it. So this is really about communicating to ensure people know what the target is and why we're doing it. Fear of loss is harder because it's um, essentially people worry about their status, their role in the company. So this is this is harder to alleviate in a crisis situation because, you know, maybe there will be layoffs down the line. We don't know yet. Right. But if you can, as leadership, I would always encourage people to um take away the fear of loss make people feel secure about their own position because they will be way more open to change if their fundamental desire to be safe is um is met and um so what do we have sorry um with fear of loss we have uh, fear of the unknown and we have fear of change Yeah. So the third one, the fear of change, is also ingrained um, You know, for, for very good evolutionary reasons. So I think it's about reinterpreting change as positive and that depends on the metaphors we use, this depends on um, the way we communicate about the change. If people fear change rather than fear what is out there, maybe the crisis, the external threat. Um, then fear can become a positive motivator for the change um, but it needs to have the right kind of communications and this obviously starts with the direct reports. And hopefully, if they buy into that, they can then disseminate that throughout the company. But this is to me, the psychological framework, how I think about initiating change, at a psychological level. Uh,
0: absolutely. And and I, I, I may um, give credit to, to our good friend Garrett McGowan, when he was in your podcast, because he was talking about storytelling, yes. you always have to have a story, um, you, you, you need to yeah. convince people that this is a right, they want to be with They they want to go with you on this journey. And uh, you had three points. I have four points, uh, especially in large corporations. Why do you never embrace really change? Uh, A, you have not invented the whole thing, this NIH Mm -hmm. problem. B, you have never done it before. C, you're so busy you don't have time. And uh, D, the fourth reason, very, very dangerous, you are successful anyway uh, without this. Uh, Why should we do Mm. this? We all know that, especially now in in this fast changing world, reason number four could uh, really change to the bad in in a heartbeat. So you were successful and then on a Monday morning you look at your order book, you look at your results and it's negative because something happened. Uh, A war is happening. A uh, U.S.-China crisis is coming. Uh, a raw material um increase is coming a uh, disruption of uh, of uh, d- delivery change is, is is there so many many things which can happen um and, and and for that you have to to be able to tell a story to your teams you have to to convince people yeah that it's 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 valuable uh good thing is if the pain point is already there um it's always mm-hmm. easier yeah. to change when you have pain better is to not feel the pain already but at least discuss look this could happen and if this happens we're not prepared let us let us change now because we can we do have time now to change we do have the ability to check out certain things and um, honestly I, i thought it would be more difficult to convince people but you always feel that uh, the workforce, the people working for you already knew it, but they were never really pushed into this direction to do the change. Right. And you need to um, um, really push forward these people. You need to promote these people. You need to, to support these people. This is also, um, I've used it a couple of times now in the last 20 minutes. My definition of leadership is also, um, I need to ask my people, how can I support you to do your job better? and not the other way around that they order them to do something where they know this is perhaps wrong, but if the boss wants it, okay, I will do it because uh, actually uh, this is the way we have been doing it the last 10, 15 years. So it's kind of igniting this, this change, this motivation to change and, uh, and then live it and don't do it by management by fear or what you said. I don't, I don't yeah. believe in fear. No. I believe in, in change because you 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 want to change and you feel that it it something has to change because everything else is changing. Why can you be remain static? It can't be. Mm-hmm. It's just unrealistic and un- not logical.
1: It sounds like your view and the experience is also that sometimes maybe as leadership we give people not enough credit for their willingness to change if addressed in the right way. Right. This is this is also important. I think that a lot of people do want to change and maybe in companies that tend to be three camps the ones that definitely want to change they're just waiting for leadership to you know get rid of the shackles um there's a second group which is kind of on the fence okay if it works i'm on board but a bit of wait and see and there's usually a camp that is um you know opposed to change so the ones in favor the ones opposed and the big group in the middle which okay let me see where this is going would you agree and
0: and how do you how do you win the middle group over (laughs) <laughs> yes because it's also this this loneliness of a of a leader loneliness of a ceo yeah uh, if you made mistakes in terms of only grouping people around you who tell you every day how great you are you don't see any need anymore so it's it's another leadership skill to recruit people to hire people to promote people who are, I call them high maintenance. So these are not the Mm -hmm. people who come every morning to Oliver's office and say, Oliver, you're great. I mean, I love to work for you and everything's fine. It is the people who say, look, um, we need to to do something. Uh, This is not acceptable. And we lost uh, another business or we lost an opportunity. So it is painful. It is exhausting. It is a lot of work, but it is so uh, rewarding to have people working for you who always challenge you. And where you feel they want to get better and I cannot stop them. I need to support this this, this getting better mood, this this motivation to change. And so that is my style. That has always been my style of winning all groups, even my bosses. Another very big challenge in a large corporation, you're in a sandwich. If you're a leader, you're in a sandwich position if you're not the CEO. Yeah. So you have people working for you, but you also need to report to, to people. So I sometimes try to make the, the, the job of my bosses easier um, by not asking them. Mm. This, this old saying, don't ask for approval, perhaps ask later on for forgiveness. But I got a lot of calls in my career from the board members, from the CEO, from others uh, who I was reporting to uh, because they realized I was doing something which I was not supposed to do um, and there was a different rule. Um, but. The one and only question i was able to ask many times is uh, okay but have you seen the numbers and i say yes i said any more question no fine great thank you so mm-hmm. if you're successful you don't have to to look at are you always following the rules you just have to follow the rule be successful and then it's fine yeah that's
1: nice um that, that's a great observation, the high maintenance people are taking that are on board. I think that's a that's a really, a really good observation. Now, looking ahead, I mean, AI, machine learning, that's, of course, a big um, known unknown, right? We know what it is right now. We don't know what it will be in the future. So a lot of companies uh, and leaders scratching their heads. Okay, well, what are we going to do with this? How can this help us make become faster, more effective, efficient? But also what threats may bring to our business model. So how would you, with all your Experience as CDO and, and also investor these days, advice companies to deal with this, um, yeah, w-
0: w- deal with AI and machine learning. We successfully applied this new technology in the in recent years at Lanxis and at Commanders, And I can only give the advice use it because it brings so much efficiency to your processes. And uh, I define it as um, the machine is doing the boring work of uh, data analytics, of uh, connecting tons of data points. You don't have to waste three quarter of your time to look at all the five or or 10 systems in your company to um, take out the data you need for your decision. This can be automated. And then you can use your creativity. You can use your time much better to look at alternatives. And uh, and that is what AI, what machine learning, what data analytics is all about for me is it's 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 efficiency It it's it takes away the um repetitive work and it gives me way more time to make smart decisions and look at um at uh, really simulate what happens if this is there and so on and you get better because nobody wants to make a bad business decision consciously Uh, if you make a if you have made a bad business decision, it is always a lack of data. So you need to look at your database again, what data points, which data points have I missed? Um, What uh, was important, and I I, I didn't see it at the time when the decision had to be made. And if you continuously do this, you continuously improve your database, and you continuously improve your decision making process.
1: Mm, Interesting. So bad decisions based on bad data. Yeah. Let's look at what you're doing today. We talked a little about Lanxess and your general experience as a leader of, you know, huge teams and companies. But what is Kimondo?
0: Kimondo is um, something which was born by accident. Uh, So make a long story short, when I took over the job as CDO, um, um, one of the decisions was to start everywhere at the same time. So you cannot digitize a company in a chronological order that you start with uh, procurement in the first year, second year you do R&D, third year you you do production and so on. So we started everywhere at the same time. So um, always, also at the very early beginning, um, the task was to digitize our marketing and sales activities at LangSys. And the first idea was to put our products on our web page, so the customers could then pick and choose and order. Um, after two weeks uh, i think it was uh, brushing my teeth in the morning i said this is a very very bad idea because web shops are old-fashioned they don't create hmm. value to the market so we looked at i looked at the market out there and i was uh, about to put my products the lengthless products on a platform on a b2b platform so that uh, um, our customers could access uh, not only the, uh, the product catalog, but uh, um, can see how much uh, um, stock do we have and so on and so on and so on, but there was nothing. So um, there were some things out there, some products out there, which were called a, a platform, a B2B platform, but they were not. They were either extended web shops from competitors where they allowed only products to be uh, put on which were not in competition to their own products or it was really mediocre stuff um, programmed by techies who had no clue about the complexity of the chemical industry. So I went to my boss. I used a little lie to say, look, um, (laughs) we have all the knowledge and the skills. Um, let us do this, uh, and then he asked the question. We had to lie a little bit. He asked how much is it and how long does it take? I said it cannot be that much, and I believe it will be fast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, that was the, the, the foundation story of Camonde. So we created a company. I was uh, the first managing director. I recruited a software company in Cologne. They wrote the first quotes. We um, started to bring all the domain knowledge of the big company into the startup company. We um, kicked the software company out because we had our own software developers back end, front um developers uh, there, UX designers. And uh, about uh, one and a half years later, we were already operating. Uh, MVP was very successful. Uh, Links has put a lot of uh, products out there, but also um, over the period of time, we had uh, roughly 100,000 products uh, on the uh, on the platform. Traded, we um, have about 50% of the chemical industry in Europe already uh, registered and using ChemOndes as uh, 50 plus employees now. Very, very important not to be forgotten to, to tell this story. We separated ChemOndes from, from day one onwards from the large company because you can only be a platform uh, business, a platform company, if you are independent. Um, from one player. Yeah. Otherwise, it is a web show. Different brand, completely different brand, yeah. completely different systems. And uh, also this ability to to really be a platform for the industry and not just serving your own company. So uh, it was a tough job to also make sure that everybody understands at Lanxys, uh, We might suffer a little bit at the beginning, because if you make a, a market more transparent, Uh, you might lose some business, and we lost some business at the beginning. However, it gave us a a huge advantage in terms of time. So we were about two years ahead of our competitors to realize this. And it gave us the chance at the old company, at the big company, to change our processes, to become faster, to work way more systematically. And uh, now Lanxys is uh, completely platform capable which uh, some of our competitors are not and that is uh, the, 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 the bigger advantage um, then also having created a very valuable startup company
1: yeah yeah that's that's very smart. And you left Caondes um, about a year ago. so what keeps you busy now?
0: Well, I left Lanxis and came on this, uh, uh middle of last year um, because I was more and more, in this digital world. I created my new network um, when I was diving into this this digital world. I I love technology. And uh, so I I also became an angel investor uh, even at my time at at Lanxess. So I made my first uh, private investments into startup companies, always angel investments. I love angel investments. Mm -hmm. I became a mentor for um, startup companies at WHO, for example. I'm a mentor now for uh, founders uh, with migration background very much needed in this country because sometimes uh, we, as we have grown up in our country, we, we know what's wrong, uh, but we don't question it. But people coming from outside, they just don't understand why uh, yeah. that certain things are not <laughs> happening in a way. Uh, I I'm an, I'm an advisor. Uh, In a way that I I really don't advise, I try to tell CEOs of especially large corporations, just do it. I mean, you have so much technology, you have so much talent in your company. don't have another five steering committees, don't have another one year workshops, don't bring any big advisory company in and so on. Do it. You will be successful. Um, And um, and uh, that's what what really keeps me very very busy right now Um, but also this combination of uh, of this pain of an investor so that you have to make a decision to put your (laughs) private money into something which is really not tangible at the time when you do it There's an idea there's a group of people there's a business model but no product yet angel investment and uh, and it's fun to to help to support uh, especially these uh, many times, very young people to to drive it, also to use my network. And um, um, many people ask me, so in which companies do you do you invest? Do you have a special industry? Do you have a special focus? I say, yeah, I have a very special focus. I invest in people. I always look at the people. Mm-hmm. I always look at uh, who is doing this. Uh, what is the team behind? Um, for sure, it has to be a business model which sounds feasible. It has to be a market where you have enough room to grow. There's a USP somewhere in this idea. Um, but uh, somehow my system works because I have not lost money, which is pretty, um, amazing. In the that's well, pretty amazing. Yeah. Investment <laughs> things. But you know, some of, <laughs> um, uh, some of my companies in my portfolio, like pre-match, like bear cover, like Dr. Box, like specter automation. Uh, it's just uh, very, very cool to see these companies grow, be successful. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed uh, how fast the, 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 the teams are building technology, using technology, scaling it up. It's fascinating, and it's, it's really fun to be there. And again, uh, success is fun, and especially here, if it's a financial success, uh, it's great.
1: Yeah, it's great, and yeah, you mentioned pre-match. I mean, these guys are killing it. Um, Lucas Ruler was on the podcast last year, and they, uh, you and I, probably witnessed their journey from you know fledging founders at VHU just starting out, to today where you know they've already made a huge impact on on the world of football.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just, um, I'm, 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 I'm amazed. You, you, you use the word uh, how they're doing it, and they. They kick butts every day. again. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. that they just did it once. <laughs> every week, every month, something something new comes up. Uh, they grow fast. Uh, we are now expanding internationally already. So, um, laser focus. I believe Lucas always calls it laser focus on laser what they're focus. doing. I love that with a huge creativity and a and a fantastic team behind. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, with all your experience from one of the largest companies in the world in that sector. To the humble startup, um, you must have formed a pretty interesting view about the innovation society that we, especially in you know, Germany and Europe, should be need to become in order to thrive uh, in the coming decades. If you were had a private conversation with a chancellor or you know the, the head of the European Commission, what would you tell them if they should do one thing? What would that be?
0: Well, be way more open on technology. Um, use data in a different way and especially data security laws the idea behind it is good the execution is so bad because it limits us we're not alone in the world um i I competed in um, the old business i'm competing now in the new business many times it's an unfair game now because we are forced to follow rules but we let others to come in which don't have to follow these rules, uh, you may complain. But three years later, you're already dead. Uh, you might get a yes, you were right. So we, we we have to become faster in change in this in this country. We have to be way more open to innovation, especially to technology. And um, we should use the fantastic positioning of our products, especially in large companies, the middle stand, super, super, super um, products out there which are outstanding and only a little bit of technology, only a little bit more of technology would really um, make us again a world business leaders in these markets and not falling behind. We cannot just look at the past and, and enjoy the success of the past. Yes, many companies are still financially very sound because of the past. But um, the, the new world is, is, is speedy. The new world is even more brutal than it has been. And we need to change now. Otherwise, it's going to be very, very difficult to apply change in the years to come when it's already uh, really bad. And we're in red figures, and we just cannot move again.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what we discussed earlier about changes within a company that applies to societies as well, right?
0: Absolutely. People
1: you need to change while you you still have the freedom and can shape the process rather than being forced and being on the defensive all the time and 100%. um this this sort of uh, i think there's a general feeling now of sort of decline and loss uh, in some european markets yeah uh, or countries and societies which you know is probably not unjustified when you look at demographic trends and uh, innovation capacities around the world etc but it's not a given you know it's something we need to shape but the old ways as you said things that work pretty well for us over the decades um you know we need to change these so that we can keep the most important things democracy freedom you know the the well-being we enjoy and and that for me is the you know change in order to um, preserve what's really
0: valuable and, and and that's what I learned while because I, I traveled so much in the world um, when, you, you, when you're when only in Germany you complain about a lot of things, um, if you're out and I lived a couple of years outside of Germany you come back and say Germany is a great country um, if uh, I could yeah. choose to be born again, which country would I choose I would certainly say Germany it's, a, it's weird but I, I would still do this um, comma but um, let us preserve, not only preserve what we have built or what our parents and our grandparents built, but let us do our job and, and make sure that uh, we prosper again. And we look positively into the future and have a great story yeah. Yeah. to tell. Awesome.
1: Now, final question I always ask is at the end, um, with all your experience, all these different worlds, countries, sizes of companies, uh, as an investor, as a CDO, as a founder, what's your best piece of communications advice? It is
0: this uh, always have a story to tell, always uh, have a a good story to tell and always add, uh, let's have fun together being successful. It's a
1: fun together being successful. Jörg Helwig, thank you so much. I take that uh, on board. 100% subscribe to that. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. You're a busy person. I know you've been traveling and you you do this right on the road and even took uh, that brilliant microphone um, with you on this journey for this podcast. I really appreciate it. And the sound quality is awesome, by the way. So it's really, it's paying off. So technology helps. <laughs> Oliver, thank you so much.
0: All the best to you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening and see you all again next week.